This is The Guardian. This week, Politics Weekly UK is in Uxbridge and South Ryslip, where the resignation of the local MP, Boris Johnson, has triggered a by-election. So how do locals feel now about the disgraced former Prime Minister? I like Boris Johnson. I've met him a few times and I really like Boris. I mean, I know he's made mistakes, but they all do. Yeah, I'm really crazy to talk to him. He is, he is. He's so natural. Polls are pointing towards this historically conservative London suburb going Labour for the first time in years. So, with rising fear over mortgage payments, the cost of living and general public exhaustion, what might the fall of Boris Johnson's former seat really tell us about the state of the country? I don't want to make it sound like we've taken anything for granted. We are not, but it would be a little sign of a coming earthquake if we take this seat. And are Labour doing enough to offer people not just an alternative, but any sense of hope? I'm John Harris and you're listening to Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. Another week, another by-election field trip. So with uh, the Politics Weekly UK regular Raphael Bear, I am in Uxbridge, the focus of the forthcoming Uxbridge and South Ryslip by-election, which of course is taking place in the seat which until a matter of weeks ago was represented by Boris Johnson. Do you remember him? Our disgraced former, (laughs) former Prime Minister. So it's sort of notable for that reason, but it's also notable because... The Tory majority here at the last election was 7,000 and all the expectations are that the Labour Party will win this, right? And in terms of Labour's reach out into the affluent suburbs of outer London, that that they would like you to think tells you a story about Keir Starmer's increasing appeal to parts of the electorate that the Labour Party hasn't reached in many years. Tories used to talk about what they call the donut strategy, right? Which was that the outer bits of London, forming a ring around the middle, they would deliver enough Tory votes for the Tories to remain a powerful presence in the politics of London. What seems to have happened since, right, is that as traditional Labour places have gone Tory post-Brexit, right, London, the capital city, the whole of it almost now, or certainly a sizable chunk of it, right, out into Wandsworth and wherever else, is now seen as being Labour territory. Well, and also a lot of Labour voters who've been priced out of London have started to move further and further out into the suburbs. Uh, it's a much bigger demographic mix. So the Tories, things that used to be quite safe Tory heartlands just outside, you know, in the suburbs and in the home counties are being labourified just by demographic change. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, I mean, my sort of underlying theory about the, about the suburbs, or a lot of them in England is that the, the Conservative Party's turn into very sort of shrill, ideological, hardcore politics post-Brexit referendum doesn't sit well here. The middle class here might have traditionally voted Tory, but it's now very different. Outside the Chimes shopping centre in the middle of Uxbridge, we meet Mike and Hannah, a retired couple who've lived in the area for 30 years. They seem to fit this theory. Do you live in Uxbridge, <laughs> South Ryslip? We live in Hillingdon, North Hillingdon. Have you got a vote in this by-election? Of course. Yes. Can we ask you about that, just how you feel about it and what you feel the choices are and why? I would vote for any party that re- would say they're going to rejoin the common market, you, in whatever form. Yeah. OK. I'd yes. vote for anybody, how did you other vote? than Corbyn. How did you vote at the last election? I voted Conservative last time. In 2019? Yeah. What's changed? 
we only voted for Boris because we didn't want Corbyn to get into power, basically. I think a lot of people were the same, were they not? Uh, yes, I met people who expressed yes. exactly that opinion. A huge number of people. Right? Yeah, OK. That's why there was a big swing. And uh, But this time it's changed, hasn't it? And, uh, What's know, changed, though? You know, obviously, leaving the EU hasn't worked, as far as I can see, by any measure. And uh, I would think the best interests of the country are to get... It back into you know back into the EU, but, but yeah, there's no point in voting Labour for that reason. Even the Lib Dems aren't oh, going to take yeah, us back in. Say, so I, I see. I this is the problem. Stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of people will probably abstain. Yeah. Well, what do you think the results going to be? I think probably Labour will get in. And how do you feel about that? By doing, as long as the guy's a decent bloke and Starmer's a lot more sensible, I don't really mind. You know, too much. But so you, you, you're sort of, forgive me, you, you feel sort of squeezed at both sides Absolutely. here. You don't like the sort of hardcore left of politics. I don't. Like and you don't, don't like, like and you don't like the hardcore right. right either. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I'm, I suppose if the uh, Lib Dems, the, you know, the centre, centre, slightly right, slightly left, depending on what's going on, yeah. is where I am. And, uh, you know, Blair harvested all those votes in just slightly left of centre. OK. That's Are you content living here? Well, you lived here for 30 odd years, so yeah, yeah. What was it like having Boris Johnson as your <laughs> MP? I, we liked him as Mayor of London. We thought he was good. He did a lot of good for London, I think. You know, he, he made the place a lot happier anyway after Livingston. Yeah. He did. A, I think he did a good job in the Olympics. He did get around. I mean, where we live, there's a sort of parade of shops and he'd come and visit. And I mean, I never actually spoke to him, but, you know, quite a lot of people said. Yeah. And, you the know, very nice, but the point is, your Remain voters, he knackered the country oh, for generations. I agree. I agree. No, you're asking me as a sort of MP rather as a sort of person. But the would instantly, you know, crumple up and you yeah. tell me he's the well, guy I've who ruined liked, Britain. I've never liked him because I'd never trusted him. I've always thought of him as being self-aggrandizing. Is that the yeah, word? Yeah. You know, he's out for Boris. Yeah. I mean, I was still. Yet you voted for him in 2019. Because of Corbyn. Because, yeah, absolutely. We have a problem because we really don't know who to vote for. Gonna... Yeah, and look, it's a quandary, isn't it? And which is oh, why. Everything's why... a quandary. <laughs> Tell me about what it. I said at the beginning of it all is I probably will abstain. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Who did you say you don't like The Guardian? Oh, I hate it. It's free. You can read it. You choose to read it online. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. They're the people British politics left behind, <laughs> aren't they? The evidence is clear that a lot of people actually voted for Boris Johnson and voted for him in 2019, not because they were particularly persuaded by him, but because they really, really didn't want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. And that whole segment, I think, has been under-examined sort of and under-recognised because everyone had a vested interest in sort of depressing that side of the story because the left didn't want to accept that they sort of gifted it to the Tories by backing Corbyn and the right wanted to believe that Boris Johnson had a magic charisma that attracted voters on his own merit. So actually the polls show that that is a very clear segment of opinion and yet you don't hear as much about it as perhaps you should. Yeah, also though, I think this just tells you something interesting about where politics went after 2015 and certainly after the referendum was that it polarised, as we all know, right? And um, we, I think sometimes, and particularly then, we definitely did, we were in danger of overlooking how many of those people there were who were completely alienated and bamboozled by that turn that politics took. I like Boris Johnson. I, I've met him a few times and I really like Boris. Yeah, so. What do you like about him? Just something about him. I mean, I know he's made mistakes, but they all do. And my friends, they like him as well. They think he's, you know, he's good. The infamous Boris factor might have disappeared for a lot of those 2019 voters, but for some others, including Deanne, Marilyn, and Brian, things are a little bit different. 
He goes around, he's quite easy to talk to, isn't he? Oh, he is, he's yeah. so natural. Yeah. I've met him personally a few times. But I like Boris. Can I ask yeah. a different question? It, it, given that Boris Johnson isn't standing... I'm not voting Conservative. You like Boris, but you're not going to vote Conservative. But no. you voted Conservative last time. I've always, yes, always. But What's not, changed? The new one, I'd stop... I know, I just like Boris. I just... I So if I vote, I'll vote Lib Dem. Why won't you vote no, Labour? Keir Starmer. No. There's something about him. How's life at the minute? Not too bad. I got a thing from the gas saying that they're going to put the gas prices down, so that's good news. <laughs> so no. People are having a rough time at the minute. Oh, yes. oh, yeah, it's very bad. Yeah, you know, it's uh, luckily, I, well, I could just you know sort of manage, but it is very tough, especially when you're on your own. What's tough? Well, it's all sorts of things. You know, you've got your bills and everything to pay for and what have you. But can't have many luxuries. No, you can't. No. It's through the gas and electric. It's yeah. it's extortion. It's supposed to be going down now, so hopefully. And is that part of why you're not going to vote Conservative this time? I know. I like Boris, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I don't like Rishi Sunak. I don't like the Conservatives now. I've gone down. No. You know, no. you're going to vote for him? No. Well, yeah. What do you think other people in in Rise Lip are going to do? Oh. Which way do you think it's going to go? I don't think a lot of them are going to vote. Really. No, I think well, people have had enough now, like, you know. They all like Boris, so <laughs> I don't know who they're going to vote. Oh, they no, said no. they'd vote Lib Dem. They're not going to vote no. Conservative. I, I talk to a lot of people who like Boris. This is not the first time I've had this conversation. Yeah. But I just think he's a complete chancer. He's earned millions of pounds since he left office. He's just bought himself a new house in Oxfordshire. I don't think yeah. he gives a monkeys about ordinary people. I really don't. No, he probably but doesn't. Like but yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of them care about us, really. No, I so don't. they're all rogues and he's the rogue you like. Yes. That's quite good. Whoever you vote for, the government gets in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, hopeless. No, I don't no, like no. him. I really don't know who I'm going to vote for. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, that is interesting because Raf, who's with us, coined this term Long Johnson for the idea that the shadow of Boris Johnson still hangs over British politics. And that was really in terms of how much trouble he causes for the Conservative Party but the shadow hangs over British politics in another way right which is I reckon about 10 or 15 percent of the of the electorate the public still really likes Boris Johnson for reasons they can't usually satisfactorily explain but they do right and we've had three conversations in the last half hour and two of those conversations have at least partly involved this residual liking this fondness for Boris Johnson and, and it's interesting also because he's the local constituency MP and people have met him that that connection does seem to be particularly strong with people who have been sort of in physical proximity to him so there's no doubt that there is a magnetism there that is undeniable yeah and when Nadine Doris and Jacob Rees-Mogg and those people say we'd be doing better if Boris Johnson returned that's rubbish right because there's enough of the public who, who turned against or never liked Boris Johnson to make a nonsense of that. Nonetheless, they are speaking about people who do exist, right? It is a thing. It's not nearly as prevalent as they think, right? But particularly in his home, his former home turf, you don't have to go very far to find it. It's quite sobering for a political journalist to hear that. That's why we do this. It's always worth it. It's always sobering to just remember that we don't know what we're talking about. What I feel very keenly here, and I don't mean this as any sort of criticism of this place at all, is I could be absolutely anywhere. Whatever sort of clone towns are and the archetypal sort of large towns stroke suburban environment we're in it and it's sort of diverse as well right it's kind of representative of a large chunk of english politics so in that sense i'm finding what people are saying quite interesting i'm always a bit wary of doing vox pops 
on a high street in the middle of the day on a weekday sort of by definition you're getting a, a well i mean it's true of any sample but it's, it's a it's a particular sample group you always get of who's around it is but the then the skill the is you find people who are at work yeah. and then you break that by doing that one of those people is ram who spoke to us briefly on her lunch break I just want to, all I want to know is who you're going to vote for. Boris Johnson, isn't it? No, tell, me why, no, tell me why not. Because we have no confidence in him. Did you ever have confidence no, in Boris Johnson? No, not his hair either. No, okay. Just the whole lot. No, no, no confidence in Boris Johnson. Right, and uh, just one other question. How's life at the minute? Um, you know what everyone's going through at yeah, the moment. Yeah, it's hard. You've got mortgage renewals coming up, got kids starting school, activities to pay for, food going up. It is hard. What yeah. do you do for a living? Um... I work for a local business here in finance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in theory, you've got the sort of job where maybe, you know, five years ago you thought you were doing all right. Yeah. And it feels different now. Very different. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you blame anyone for that? The government. Yeah. What, Rishi Sunak? <laughs> not, not necessarily him. I think it's just generally, isn't it? They've let the finances let go, haven't they? So... Right. Um, it's just really hard. Everything's gone up. Inflation's high. You, yeah. And how do you feel? Are you worried about that? Do you feel that as a matter we've of... We've literally gone fit? through our mortgage, just come up for renewal. So just now in June. So we've had to go... We're, we're taking a risk and going on a tracker. So it's because we think it might be a better risk to take and help what, us financially. What you're gambling on interest rates coming down. Next year. Right. But in the short term, you might yeah, have to take yeah. quite a lot of pain. Yeah. But yeah, we're taking the gamble. Right. Okay. And do you know you're going to vote in the by-election? Not yet. I need to like make a decision. What do you think your options are? Because it doesn't sound to me like you're going to vote. I'm naturally always on Labour, if I'll be honest. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think my mindset is still more so with them. I don't know. It's hard. We'll have to have a proper thorough read-through and then have a, make a decision. But yeah, that's it for me today. Okay, Gosh. thank you. Not far from the town centre is Uxbridge's Conservative Club, which is currently being used as the temporary campaign headquarters for Tory candidate Steve Tuckwell, who's a local councillor for the area. Thank you for it's here yeah, that we meet David Simmons, the Conservative MP since 2019, for the next door seat of Ryslip, Northwood and Pinner. Excuse me, do you have a formal role in the campaign? Are you the... I am the candidate's buddy. I wanted to ask you a sort of big picture question, which is that it's an uphill struggle for you here. I mean, that's clear. The Labour Party feels it's insurgent and we're at a stage of the p political cycle where things are difficult for the Conservatives. You're nodding. So you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, it's obviously the case. The opinion polls are very much against us. I think my view as somebody who's been involved in politics in this part of North West London for a very long time is we have pretty good track record of defying gravity, both in the local elections and in previous by-elections and the feedback on the doorsteps thus far certainly is a lot better than we were expecting okay. and uh, and therefore we feel pretty confident about the outcome of the by-election but clearly we can't be complacent about it when we know the National Party is some distance behind Labour in the opinion polls. Something you know we've been speaking to people around and I mean it's not surprising that a the perceptions of Boris Johnson who he is his legacy are the one thing that people know about their own constituency but it's also interesting how much fondness there is for him still you know, of all the constituencies where actually the, the in quotes, Boris effect might still be a thing, this feels like the one. The incumbency advantage that you might have had is the one thing you haven't got. And I just, I just your general sense of 
you know, whether that's at all available to the Conservative candidate who isn't Boris Johnson or even actually a hindrance that there's a Boris vote that isn't going to go back to the Conservatives? Boris Johnson isn't on the ballot paper in the by-election. He made the choice. He could have been if he decided that he he wanted to push forward and and go through with the process with the Privileges Committee. And that's one of the reasons why we have chosen a candidate who's someone with a fantastic local track record. Now, clearly, people here will make up their, their minds about that. They know what a lot of the local issues are. I've yet to have anybody say on the doorstep that the situation with Boris Johnson one way or the other is something that would inform their views. Some people liked him, some people didn't. Do you miss him? Uh, he's clearly made a huge difference in British politics. I think, in my view, it's a good thing that we're moving on from that era. It's ah, okay. been a divisive period for, all sort, period for all sorts of reasons. And clearly, you know, voters feel, frankly, that they're a bit sick of the drama that they saw. A lot of that was quite personal. Quite a lot of and, drama um, with him. <laughs> and, and a lot of drama with him. And they want to be able to see that, that the serious issues that are going on, that are impacting on their lives, are being dealt with by the government. I have a theory about suburban places, and this is a suburban place, um, which is to do with the changing nature of the electorate here, right? Which is that in places like Oxbridge and Hillingdon um, and Riceleaf, I dare say, most people were instinctively conservative along traditional lines, say 40 or 50 years ago. But the nature of the middle class is changing now somewhat. Uh, I'm not suggesting that they're massively left-leaning, but they're a bit more progressive in their views. They worry about the climate crisis. Uh, they understand racism is a bad thing. You know, They're quite sort of internationalist and worldly in their outlook. It's, it's not Terry and June, which for younger listeners was, a, was a, a sitcom about the suburbs on BBC in the 70s and very, very accurately nailed that stereotype. And I think that causes problems, perhaps, for the Conservative Party. Cameron Osborne were aware of this with Conservative modernisation. That was definitely where that was aimed. And that tendency in Conservative politics has gone very, very quiet. And maybe that's one of the reasons now fundamentally underneath the issues why constituencies like this are fragile for you it's very clear if we look at the period since the brexit referendum and the general election since a lot of the conservative support was drawn from a socially conservative coalition some of that was traditional labor supporters who felt left behind who voted conservative because that's the way they felt about social issues that's not so much the case here this is a very diverse constituency the support base for the conservative party as someone who lives locally is very much amongst people who are small business owners. Uh, and as you've seen today, you've met a group of the campaigners who are here. They're mostly younger people who are out and about supporting the party. So you do see that diversity in a way that I do accept. You wouldn't see in conservative associations and supporters in every part of the country. But it is quite characteristic, in particular, of the party in London. It's interesting, though. I mean, this seems to me one of the biggest incumbency challenges for, for you, I mean, broadly as a party, that if the age at which first-time bias is now creeping up well into the upper 30s towards 40. Uh, So you're going to have a lot lot of those people you just described are going to be renters. Um, They're going to feel their modest income they've got now eaten up by, if they have got a mortgage, high interest rates. Yeah, we met those people this morning. And it it feels that there's just a sort of a demographic and economic tide that is pulling away from what used to be a core conservative vote. And, you know, the... For, for you at this stage in the political cycle to narrate the future in a way that keeps people with you is just, it, it's going to be very difficult. Well, I understand the point that you're making, but Hillingdon as a borough alongside Bexley is one of the most affordable places to buy a home in London. And what we've seen, particularly during the COVID pandemic, is families who lived in central London, who wanted more space because of growing children or wanting to start a family, have moved to places like this. So they are 
aspirational first-time homeowners who've come here because this is a place where you can afford to buy a home. Oh, yeah, but their interest rates are still to good jumping up schools. and they're really, really worried. We met people who are actively scared this morning. Yeah, I, and people should be concerned about that. I mean, I, as I said in, in the questions asked yesterday when Jeremy Hunt was talking about the mortgage <laughs> charter, I remember the impact this had on my parents. We moved house when I was a young child in 1987, just before mortgage rates went through the roof in 1989. Yeah. And I remember what that was like for us as a family. So I know there are a lot of us in Westminster who are very concerned to make sure that that does not have the kind of consequences that it had then. And I'm hoping that the policies that have been announced will, will address those concerns. You're, you're, what's the conservative story about the future of the country? I ask you that because we have an, uh, it's fair to say we both think that the Labour Party uh, is lacking in that department, right? It doesn't have a story. But I think the Conservative Party is equally lacking in it. I think the general absence of a narrative about the future, which is the only way politics can really communicate with people successfully, you know, that's a, an absence on both sides, right? Now, now, if the, I don't know, am I missing something? Is there a Tory narrative that I haven't seen? <laughs> I, I think that's a, re a really good question because I think the point that was made by Sir John Curtis, the, the, the polling expert, was that we have party leaders, not just Conservative and Labour, but across Parliament at the moment, who aren't really doing vision in the way that some previous party leaders did. And not everybody's good at that. And, and frankly, I think people may, after some of the things that they've heard in recent years that's led to a lot of the drama we talked about, be a little bit sceptical about vision for the time being and saying, actually... Let's put that aside. Let's look for party leaders who are businesslike and competent. It's, it's all John very well. Boris Johnson sort of brought vision and optimism and, into and, some disgrace, and, right? And to some degree, you've got you've had leaders like Jeremy Corbyn yeah, yeah, who've been, been unable to convince people that the big ideas that they had were practical and actually would improve cool. things. But politics without our ideas and vision and optimism, crucially, is dysfunctional. That doesn't work. So I think the big conservative vision is around the economy. I think Rishi Sunak, that's where he is coming from and he recognises that's the most important thing for the well-being of almost everybody in the country. And it's the most important thing either because it's your job, your business, your employment that determines your standard of living and it's the taxes you pay that support other people who need public services for their standard of living. So getting that right is absolutely critical. And we've had a global pandemic followed by Putin's invasion of Ukraine, yeah. which has had a huge impact on the global economy, in particular, the latter, a massive inflationary impact on the global economy. Yeah. And we need to get through that. And, and whilst it isn't the kind of thing that's you know, a shining city on a hill, it's about saying to people, this is a government that's got your back. Now, this is the conservative, one of the conservative campaign leaflets. This is a mock newspaper. Uh, it's a political leaflet. I'm not sure anyone will be fooled. But um, not exactly subtle. The stop. Ules, is that pronounced? I'm not from London. Yeah. It's, not like in, it's not in the French way. Ule. Uh, this, is, this is all about the ultra-low emission zone, right? Local residents using votes to send message. Stop ULES. Save our police station. So we'll talk about ULES. Talk to anyone in Oxbridge, Ryslip and Hillingdon. You'll get the sense that our area has been deliberately ignored by Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. There he is on the front. Big picture of him. Bigger than the candidate, maybe. And you're going to bundle on it. Well, you would, isn't you? In your position, I would, I would run a local campaign against uh, Sadiq Khan uh, rather than a celebrating 12 years of Conservative incumbency campaign, not mentioning Boris Johnson. Uh, that seems to be a pretty straightforward tactical decision. Uh, I mean, clearly it's both a tactical decision, but also it's a very practical one because the US is due to come in in August. So for people who are thinking in by-elections traditionally, it's the abstract, it's the midterm question, it's the opportunity for other parties to say, if you, you think the Conservatives are not being right-wing enough, then vote Liberal Democrat in this election to send them a message. In this case, the point is, this is coming in within a few weeks' time unless something happens to change that narrative. Are you getting uh, from HQ uh, a clear sort of timetable and a grid of 
top level visits, people coming to help out. Yes. That suggests some confidence that you can hold it. In a sentence, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask you, and I know what you've got to say. That's not a criticism. Can you win here? Uh, we certainly can. Yeah. And the feedback on the doorstep and the, the long history of, of local victories against the odds gives me confidence about that. Labour candidate hoping to win the seat is Danny Beals, a 34-year-old who was born and raised in the area. We asked to speak to him for this podcast, but instead we were given his campaign chief, Labour's shadow justice minister and the MP for Croydon North, Steve Reid. Steve caused controversy earlier this year when he came up with the Labour attack ads that claim Rishi Sunak didn't believe paedophiles should be in prison. So will he be bringing the same political brutality to this by-election? We asked him what he made of the Conservative campaign so far. The Tories are trying to talk about you, Les, because they've got absolutely nothing else to say okay. on the, the issues that really matter to to, to, to local people. No, we and take that's, that as red, but well, in talking about you, Les, that could make up for that, that bigger absence, couldn't it? No, Tory wishful thinking doesn't turn into voters thinking what the Tories want them to think. It's, it's not actually relevant to this campaign anyway. That's an issue from the Mayor of London, and this is an election from Member of Parliament. And, uh, you know, I've been picking up on the doorsteps the things that people are actually bothered about. Well, the cost of living crisis is way the top issue. Prices in the shops are still going up at around 16%. People are seeing their mortgages rocket. So people are furious about the cost of living. They know why this is happening. They saw the Tories crash the economy last autumn. They saw the government being forced to pay higher borrowing uh, rates because of that. But that the, the other issues that are coming up um, that I'm picking up, the hospital, it's falling to bits. These wonderful health professionals are doing their best in dire circumstances. Labour's going to deliver a state-of-the-art hospital within our first term. So there's a real difference there. And um, You're well, well rehearsed there, Steve. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> How long have you been running this campaign? There's a couple of weeks I've been down here, but I we've had hundreds and hundreds of people out here. We spoke to thousands of voters. Now, so, so in which case, it won't surprise you to hear that obviously these things have come up, the anxiety about the, the state of the economy, uh, interest rates, all these things that feed into exactly that sense of, of stress and borderly, bordering on despair that's around. What I definitely don't get is people thinking they know what the Labour Party is offering them for the future. It's a void in people's understanding of the Labour position. Yeah. There are a lot of people who have always voted Conservative here who are now wondering what they're going to do. And one of, one of the things we're finding on the doorsteps is there's a very, very high number of undecided voters. Yeah. A lot of that is former Tory voters. Yeah. They're furious with their party. They're thinking about what they're going to do next. They haven't voted yet. You know, they're, they're, they're listening to what the parties are saying. But yeah. I think we're putting an attractive offer across to them about the hospital, about the cost of living as yeah. well. And we've got a really good local even candidate. the people we've met who say they're going to vote Labour, right? If you say to them, well, what's the Labour Party's vision of the future? What's it all about? They don't know, right? And I, as someone who observes politics, feels that absence as well. Incidentally, that absence is there on the Tory side as well. I don't think either main party, in such awful times where people are full of fear, yet has a convincing sort of 
popular story about the future. You're nodding frantically, so do you agree? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm listening. To, I'm listening to what you're saying, and this isn't a general election yet. You know, by the time we get to the general election, I know you're laughing, it but it isn't. It's a by. It's. I'll be done. It's going to be 18 months away still. You know, what? 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 If you think back to where we were three years ago, we would just come out of our worst election defeat for 85 years. People were telling me uh, that there was no Labour way Labour could win back in a single term, yeah, and yet yeah. here we are now, significantly ahead in the polls, um, and, f- and consistently now as well. Now, I'm not going to bank any of that because until people vote, we don't know, but it looks like we have a chance to, to win the next general election. There's not, there's not a comparable cycle. There isn't, there isn't anywhere you can point to in British history where a party has come from its worst defeat for 85 years to winning. Okay, I understand it, it because of the circumstance you describe, it, it might be asking a lot you know, given the tightness of the cycle and the anomalous situation that people don't necessarily know exactly yet what the full Labour story is or what Keir Starmer's prospectus is or what he represents. But it's surprising that people, some people don't even know who he is. They literally haven't heard of the guy. And that seems to me just a, a, that there's a kind of a camera shyness or something that means he is not cutting through in a way that you would want the opposition leader to be. Oh. And just think, OK, put it this way. Think how much better you'd be doing if he was actually really popular. I think I saw an opinion poll yesterday that had us 24 points ahead. So, you know, you can criticise that's not good enough. But given that we lost the last election with a 24-point deficit, and that's the biggest reversal in British polling history, I think you can criticise him for not having done even better. But it's pretty good by my books. Okay. Um, We wanted to meet the candidate today. Forgive me saying this, Steve. It's not like you're the if-wet choice. I'm not saying that at all. And it would have been good, right? He's running for office. Uh, and we weren't allowed to do that. And there is an atmosphere around Labour politics at the moment, which seems to me, and I know this from talking to Labour, some Labour politicians, it feels very nervous and controlling. And a lot of Labour people I meet are quite sort of downcast and anxious and they get a sense that the mighty centre is running everything. They're not allowed on the broadcast media. Candidates aren't allowed to talk to people like us. And I wonder, given that a general election is coming, that's not really the mood you want. You want people to feel full of exuberance and excitement. And the Labour Party, or sections of it anyway, to me, don't feel like that at the moment. Well, I think you've been a bit harsh. This podcast's from The Guardian, isn't it? And Danny did a full profile piece in The Guardian about a week ago. So I think you're being a little bit harsh to say you're not, you're not getting in. But, you know, I, I was a by-election candidate myself 11 years ago. By far the most important thing you do in a by-election, full respect to your uh, listeners here, but the most important thing you do is get out and speak to your own voters in your constituency. And when I was doing it 11 years ago, and I know Danny's doing it now, you're literally on the doorsteps 24-7. It's a full-time job, you know. Big, the bigger question about the mood, the mood in the party... You you and I both know that the, the, the Labour Party leadership team is sort of throwing its weight around. It's 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 quite controlling. It, it perhaps feels it needs to be, but that's the atmosphere in the party. I, I, I don't buy that narrative at all, John. I don't. I, I think what's happened is, you know, in order to turn the party around from where we were just three and a half years ago, we had an awful lot of people that were put in front of the British public that really were not up to becoming being elected as MPs and indeed lost so the, the party's been a bit more careful to make sure that people with you know extreme views um, can't be put forward but and within that, that presumably the elected, with, the elected mayor of the North Italian region but, with, but within that members get a choice from all the uh, all the other people that put themselves forward I think this narrative is just a bit misplaced if when the Labour Party wins here given the fact you haven't had an MP here since 1966 and the sort of wider circumstance, politically and economically, what does that? What will that mean? What's the significance of, of a, a Labour MP potentially representing Boris Johnson's former constituency? 
Well, it's obviously a very significant moment for Labour to take a seat, if we take it, that even Tony Blair and his landslide couldn't uh, couldn't take. And to take the seat of the former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, again, it would tell you quite a lot about where the, the public are starting to feel um, they need to go as we approach the next general election. We haven't won yet. I don't want to take make it sound like we've taken anything for granted. We are not, but it would be, I think it would be a, a little sign of a coming earthquake well, if we okay, take this yeah. seat. Right, thank you, Steve. Pleasure. Nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we're now going to Rice Slip, another part of the constituency, which I think is outwardly quite well off. But it so happens that before Ulez arrives, although it may not, Raf has brought his car. So, all right. We are on. It is exactly this was my old childhood stamping ground, the dual carriageway, A road, and gyratory system. Gyratory. Somewhere between the North Circular and the M25. That's yeah, that yeah. belt. Being here with a sort of mess of political assumptions in your head. It just feels like we ought to be, or we have been, in solid Tory land, right? This does not look like a Labour voting place. How is Labour failing to really capture that mood to feel like they really own that? I accept Steve Reid's point that you know, they were standing in a smouldering crater of 2019, yeah. and you know, no one seriously thought they could come back in such a short time. But it still feels that there's so little sense of yes, actually, maybe this time it'll be different. Yeah. From anyone that he speaks yeah, to, yeah. anywhere across the political spectrum, seems to me to be, uh, you know, a sort of a stunning failure to capture the mood. So I think there's two. I think there's two answers to that. So the first one is there is unquestionably a failure on the part of the Labour Party and the Labour Party leadership. And Keir Starmer, partly because he's new to politics, he's not an instinctive politician. He's just not someone capable of doing that stuff, right? And I think we really feel that absence. I also think, even if he was capable, part of his calculation is that we don't want to kind of overreach and sound too high-flown because people might not like it. So it's like they're all curled up in a ball. That's one thing. But the second thing is, and I think they're aware of this, and our, the Conservative MP we met earlier said this, but I think optimism has sort of been disgraced by Brexit and People forget that. People won't buy into optimism anymore because they were sold a great dose of it that amounted to nothing. Yeah, and Boris Johnson's part of that same story too. He saw people build back better, levelling up, right? And all these things haven't amounted to anything. So for a politician then to come along and go, right, here's some more optimism. You can't sell optimism to people who've had enough of it. Yeah, that's. I think that's right. You basically, <laughs> you debase the currency of radical change by, yeah. uh, by selling essentially a revolution that was also a fraud. Yeah. And people are knackered. One damn thing after another, isn't it? So we've now arrived in Ricelip Manor, which is on the edge of the constituency where the by-election is happening. So another sort of reasonably stereotypical chunk of outer London, really. It's a charmingly generic outer-tier M25 uh, high Street. That sounds really disrespectful of Ricelip. We but, like, but we bless, we're, bless you, Ricelip. We're outside an estate agent here where we've been reminded that even buying quite a modest looking house is very, very expensive. You know, a semi detached four bed here will set you back, if you're not careful, in advance of 600 grand. We're on our way to the windmill studio, which is a, a business centred on 
dance and the performing arts. We're going to meet the proprietor there, Judy, who's been here for many, many years. And I think we'll have a sort of good sense of what life's like in this part of outer London, where everything may or may not be going. Thank you. I've never spent much time in dance studios. More fool me, really. But uh, what happens here? Not in this room, but in the general setup, you know. Right, so we have an um, activity centre for ch uh, parents with babies and toddlers. We have a performing arts school here that does from dancing, singing, acting, things like that. Um, you also have adult classes from Pilates to pole dancing to uh, purely fitness. Um, um, aerial hoop classes. And we also have a very big agency where we do lots of TV, film and commercials. Wow, okay. We have been talking to people, just randomly people who we meet all morning. And just about everybody we meet talks about the cost of living crisis at the moment, right? You must have conversations about that with people who come here all the time at the moment. Does it feel like that? Well, at the moment, I think everyone's quite aware of, obviously, the, the outlay of life in general. But with children, you tend to find people often find that uh, way of paying for a child to actually still have a fun time. I think in around our surrounding areas, I think everyone is still reasonably... Okay. Have you been here in this in broad in this location or nearby for a very long time? Yeah, we've actually been here in this building for sixteen years. Tell me about the local area. What sort of place it is? Um, we're near London. We're near everything. I think people are very keen for their children to do well in life, so um, they will, you know, pay for hobbies. They will pay for them to do stuff. They want extra tuition, even though schools, you know, they work hard at schools. But everyone, sort of, I think, around this area, are keen for their children to succeed. They're quite aspirational, dare I use the word. Yes, yeah, I would say they are. Right. I would say they, they care. Right. But definitely people are talking about, oh gosh, you know, the cost of everything. Um, I mean, I certainly do. Um, especially as a business, you know, everything, everything is ridiculous. It's, it's sort of gone everything. What's ridiculous? Well, everything really, isn't it? Like you sort of your rent goes up, your, you know, your rates go up, your bills go up. Have you ever worried about just the finances of carrying on it in the future? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think every, every business has that thing. And, I, and you do sort of wonder how you've come through everything. Did you miss Boris Johnson being your local MP? Um, no, but I, remember, I do remember when he came in that everyone, because I know obviously quite a few councillors were quite excited by the fact they had someone of a name here in Uxbridge yeah. and obviously believed his, you know, what he was going to provide. Did you? I try to think, I try to feel positive about people, but, you know, sometimes they just kind of let you down. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. do you know what you're going to do in the by-election? No. No, I think it's a very sticky one because, in all fairness, the, the Conservative Party have been a very strong party of Hillingdon. So you don't know how you're going to vote? Not at the moment, no. Did you vote Conservative last time? Um, I, I didn't. Right. So you might vote Conservative this time? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> how do you feel about the future? And you can interpret that question any way you like. Going as it is right now, it's quite sad, I feel. I think the negativity of everything and everybody, it's a very sad kind of time. Whereas you want positive people around you. You know, we someone need someone strong who's, you know, going to bring the country together, get people working, you know, encourage young people to work. In a, in a children's sense of having dealt with uh, kids of all ages, teenagers and everything else over 40 years, you know, I've seen a vast change in, in, in their attitude now. They look at life, you know, everyone's so entitled. You said, I said, how do you feel about the future? And you said, I feel sad. Yeah. What a thing, you know. Yeah, I, not for me. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm sad for the because I'm thinking there's, 
there's no one sort of saying, come on, let's rebuild this country. Let's yeah, do some yeah. good stuff. Let's, you know, let's, let's bring the youth to understand you've got to work to get what you want to get. You know, everyone wants to be a celebrity on a TikTok thing, don't they, or something. And that's why I do feel... For me, as a business that I do, I bring good stuff. Oh, no, it's, it's more important than ever that you do what you do. Yeah. If generally people are feeling downcast and anxious and fearful, right, then at least they've got this. And there's no one who you see in that environment from any party or anywhere where you think, OK, yeah, I could follow that person. That person's got it. Is there anybody? Is there anyone? I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anyone. Well, OK, well, there we are. I think we've nailed the national condition <laughs> in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I think one of the reasons we came here, because this place is so associated with Boris Johnson, was to sort of try and find out whether we were still living with Long Johnson, we were still in the shadow of Boris Johnson. And I thought that story was going to be really straightforward. It was really just about how much he let everyone down and how much he was still making trouble for Rishi Sunak. And in point of fact, his ghostly sort of presence here is much more complicated. And his effects on British politics, I think, are much more complicated. And one thing I've really been reminded of is that the lack of optimism and the lack of a story about the future is partly because that was a currency that he just totally spent, right? He somehow took that with him, he trod that into the dust, you know, whatever figure of speech, he drew down the curtains on any possibility of it, and people know that. Yeah, it's like... And, and you know, we've met so many people who met him and felt that he had his magnetism and charisma, and it's almost as if... There's a sort of a, a terrible charisma deficit in the whole of British politics now that people don't know what a, a realistic type of honest charisma would even look like. Uh, and, and that makes the whole thing feel like you know, either that you're stuck with either kind of dismal, cautious technocracy or despair. Yeah, yeah. And those are really not attractive options. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one thing we ask of politics, which I don't think is too much to ask, right? Because it's one of the, it's arguably the fundamental thing politics should deliver, right? It's tell me about the future. Give me a reason to think about and believe in it in some small way, right? And we're still waiting. Sitting here in this lovely Turkish cafe in Rice Slip Manor on a Tuesday afternoon, we're still waiting. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure you subscribe to Politics Weekly UK wherever you get your podcasts. And even better, leave us a review. This episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Coutier. And the executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. This is The Guardian. 